If you've been around Christianity for a while, you've probably heard the phrase joy in the midst of suffering. But what does that mean? Joy in the midst of suffering. Is that even possible? And if it is, how does it happen? In the book of 1 Peter, Peter addresses us, believers in Jesus, as elect exiles. That means that we've been chosen by God and as a result are alienated from the world. Those who live as foreigners in another country experience additional stresses simply from the fact that they're foreigners in another country. So it is with Christians. We are foreigners in this world and as a result we experience a greater amount of suffering which has nothing to do with our choices but a greater amount of suffering simply from the fact that we are exiles in this world. Jesus told us, in this world you will have trouble. But he also told us that he wants us to have the fullness of his joy. How is that possible? To have such joy in the midst of a world and a life filled with trouble. How, if you are facing a major surgery, can you experience joy? If you've lost a loved one, if you're being bullied at school, if you're in exile in your own family because of your faith in Christ, if you're experiencing persecution in college because of your stand for Jesus, how is it possible to have joy in the midst of those suffering? Is it possible? Well, this morning... I believe God wants to speak to each one of us and answer those questions. How can we have joy in the midst of suffering? If you have a Bible, it would be great if you would turn it to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, page 980 in the church Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1. And my prayer this week is that God would speak through His Word to answer the questions. How can we have joy in the midst of suffering like Jesus promised? First Peter chapter 1. We've finished with our introductions of the major characters in First Peter. Peter, ourselves, and our triune God. And so now we will be taking sections of First Peter in a little bit larger chunks as we work our way through this epistle. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 3 through 9 of chapter 1. Let me read them to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of troubles. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The question we're trying to answer this morning that we're asking God to answer for us is in a world filled with suffering, how is it possible to have joy? Well, this passage mentions joy twice, so let's look at both of those mentions. The first one is verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, even though for a short time now we're having to suffer grief from all kinds of trials. What is the cause or the source of the rejoicing that takes place in verse 6? Well, if you back up into verse 5, you'll see. It's the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The coming of the salvation is what causes us to greatly rejoice. Look in verse number 8. Again, we find the word joy. It's at the end of the verse. You are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. What's the cause of this joy? Well, it's given to us in verse 9. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In both cases, the word joy is associated with the word salvation. Having joy has something to do with this concept of salvation. Now, what is salvation? What does that term mean? Last week, we were able to sort of, by analogy, talk about it in terms of moving into a new house or a new living situation. Now we can be more precise because Peter tells us what salvation is. In verse 3, he says that it is new birth into a living hope and an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade. Salvation is defined by God as new birth into a living hope. Now, that's kind of a strange phrase, a living hope. What does that mean? Well, a living hope means a future hope that's characterized by life. A living hope, a living future Last week, I was uh, out to eat with some friends here from the church, and uh, we were at Gus's uh, having a meal together, and there were people of a variety of ages there, and uh, a couple of us guys were uh, sitting together, and there was one guy with us. He's probably, I think, 30, 31, somewhere around there. He's incredibly fit in great shape, and uh, me and the guy next to me were watching him, and he ate about three meals worth of food, just downed it. Me at 41 said to the guy sitting next to me, man, I can't do that anymore. And the guy sitting next to me had just turned 50. Of course, you know what his answer was. Wait till you get to 50. <laughs> it gets even worse. And it's true, isn't it? This thing's going in the wrong direction. That apart from Christ, our future is characterized by death. I mean, think about it. 
What hope is there for somebody who's not a Christian as time marches on? What is there to look forward to? There's simply children growing up and moving away. There is a decrease in usefulness to the working world. There is waning health. Friends being lost to death. And even death itself. That's a future characterized by death. But for those who are believers in Jesus, Peter's saying that's not what our future looks like. What we've been given is a new birth into a future that's characterized by ever-increasing life. That in Christ we have eternal life. That death is not our future, life is. That in Christ we have new relationships in the kingdom of God. That we have new friendships that are ever-deepening. That death itself cannot touch. Do you know that? The relationships that you're forming now with those who are believers in Jesus will go on into eternity? That death will not end those friendships and those relationships? That we've been given uh, a kingdom in which to labor that has no end? That we've been given increasing usefulness? That those who are older in the faith are not less useful, but more useful? Because as the physicality is stripped away, true spirituality is able to bear fruit through prayer, through encouragement, through endurance. This is the hope that Christians have been giving. And so Peter says, salvation is that we've been born again into a future that is simply characterized by life, a living hope, as well as into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade not only have we been given that sort of intangible thing of life we've also been promised an inheritance a kingdom very tangible things a kingdom the riches of heaven rewards for work well done the blessings of god that's salvation new birth into a future characterized by life and being inheritors of all that God has. Now you say, great. What does that have to do with suffering? Am I supposed to just know that that stuff is coming in the future? And be happy about it? If we're honest, it's kind of hard to be happy about the future if the present's miserable. It's hard to set your eyes so much on what's coming in the future when what's happening now in the present is so difficult. But in order to understand how salvation brings joy in the present, we need to recognize the framework in which Peter talks about our salvation. Go back again to our two verses where that word is mentioned, verse number five. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Does that not make it sound like salvation is something that's coming in the future? Is that not the way it sounds? Yeah. But look at verse 9. For you are receiving the end result of your faith... The salvation of your souls. 
Does that sound future or present? Present. So now what in the world is going on here? Chapter 5, or verse 5 is about salvation that's supposed to be coming to us in the future. Verse 9 is about salvation that's happening in the present. Which is it? Are we looking forward to salvation? Or are we experiencing salvation now? It's both. And the key to understanding how salvation brings us joy now is recognizing the way our future salvation and our present experience of salvation are linked together. We are waiting for salvation to come, but we are in this moment experiencing salvation now. And these two things, our future salvation and our present salvation, are really one thing, and they're united together. And the key to having joy in the midst of of suffering is to recognize the union of our present salvation and our future salvation. Now, how are they tied together? Let me give you from this passage three ways that Peter says our present experience of salvation is inextricably linked to what's coming in the future for us. And rather than have these be simply abstract points, I want to use a personal example of suffering and work through all three of these points with that personal example of suffering to show how it works. This past Wednesday, just a few days ago, marked the one-year anniversary of my dad's death. He had a long and difficult bout with dementia. It was very difficult and hard to watch him go through that. It was difficult and hard for him to go through that. Here, a year later, there's an opportunity with a little more perspective to look back on that suffering event and ask the questions that these text is having us ask to say, how is it possible for there to be joy in the midst of suffering? Well, the first way in which our present and future salvations are linked is in verse number five. Back up first half or last half of verse four. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power now until the coming of salvation. Our future salvation is happening in part now because in the midst of suffering, God is shielding us by his power. What that means is, is that in the midst of the struggles that we have, God is keeping those struggles from crushing us, from overwhelming us. That my dad's slow and difficult death, in hindsight, was actually God shielding me from a sudden death. Because I realize now I wouldn't have been able to handle it emotionally. I was asked to do the funeral for my dad. 
by my dad himself. It was a funeral I did not want to do, but knew that I must. In the midst of that heavy burden, I look back and I see God's sustaining grace. That's God shielding us until we come into our inheritance. And the point is, how do we know that we are going to be saved? Because God is saving us right now. How do we know that he's going to shield us from death? Because he's shielding us from suffering right now. If you look around in the midst of a difficult situation, or like me in hindsight, on a situation, and you're able to say, wait a minute, this could have been a lot worse. Wait a minute, this could have broken me. Wait a minute, I felt some sort of sustaining grace through this whole thing that kept me afloat, that lifted me up. Peter's point is, that's God saving you now. And if he's saving you now, why in the world would we think he would abandon us in the future? See, the point is, is God is protecting our inheritance for us. It's kept in heaven for you. And protecting us for our inheritance. We're going to get there. That's why you have joy in the midst of suffering. It's because in the midst of suffering, God is having the opportunity to show us his protective power, to shield us, to lift us up. And that is a surefire reminder. Why in the world would God shield us from all this stuff? Only to let us die in the end. Why would God work so hard to rescue us out of each and every situation? Only to have our inheritance gone by the time we get there. The second way our present experience of salvation and our future salvation are linked together is in verse number seven. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It does not say... These have come so that your faith will end up being genuine on that day. What it says is, these have come so that you can have proof that your faith is genuine today and that genuine faith that is there today will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. My dad's death revealed to me that I have true faith. I watched somebody that I love very much die. And I didn't lose faith in God. I still today believe that God is good. It doesn't take away the grief from the suffering. It doesn't make everything happy in life. But at the end of all of that, I believe God's good. I'm not up here telling you I believe because I'm paid to tell you that. I'm not up here telling you that I believe because I'm a pastor and I'm forced to. I'm not telling you that I believe because there's peer pressure, because I grew up in West Michigan or because people in my family. I believe and the suffering shows that it's real faith because in the midst of difficulty, I'm still here saying God is good. And if you in the midst of your suffering can still say God is good, then you're a believer in Jesus. You have genuine faith. 
And Peter's point is that genuine faith that exists in you now, when Jesus shows up, praise, glory, and honor is what's going to be the result. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen on that day. Am I going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? You can know now. And it's because of suffering. Because as we go through these difficult trials, as you heard Robin say in her testimony, the question that comes to all of our minds is, where was God? Why didn't God rescue me from this? Why didn't God help me avoid this? Why didn't God protect me from this? And when our eyes are open and realized he sustained me all the way through it, and at the end of, of abuse, really? At the end of abuse? At the end of losing a loved one? At the end of some difficulties in school or in family? If you can still say, I believe in God, God is good, then you have genuine faith. The third way our present and future salvations are linked is verse number eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. My love for God grew because of my dad's death. How did that happen? I don't really know. I don't really know when that happened. But I look back with a year's perspective and say, I, I love him more now than I did then. Maybe it had something to do with God's faithfulness through the whole thing. Maybe it's as I look back, I remember that on Monday a year ago, sitting in my office, God said, what are you doing here? Go home. And he sent me to go see my dad and I spent the last five hours of that day with him on his last day. Or Monday night when I went home and had been trying for six months to write a funeral for him. Monday night, God said, now's the time. Let me help you. Uh, and he wrote it for me from start to finish. Or when I looked up from this whole week of darkness, God had already arranged a trip away from me that was happening that Sunday morning. Somehow in the midst of all of this, I felt God's love. You know what suffering is? Suffering is an opportunity for God to express His love to us in an individualized way. Yes, God loves us because He sent His Son to die for us. That's the greatest expression of His love. But you know what's true about that statement that sometimes bothers me? Is it feels like that's a statement for everybody. It feels like, well, hey, if I hadn't even existed, Jesus still would have died for all of you. Now listen. It is an expression of God's individual love for us, but sometimes we hear that statement and feel like He would have died for me if I was, He would have died for everybody else if I wasn't around. Now that's not true, but it can feel that way. But in the midst of suffering, when you're going through something and you feel all alone, when nobody else understands, when nobody else has been through the exact situation that you're going through, when it makes it feel like there is nobody else in the world who is going through what you're going through, when God shows up and loves you in the midst of that, you can't help but love Him back. The craziest thing happened this past Wednesday. 
I decided I wasn't going to just sort of go through my normal prayer routine. Instead, I was just going to pray and think about uh, my dad on the year anniversary. And the beginning of the prayer was all about the stuff that I had been grateful for, about my dad, about all of the things that I had seen blessings and, and, and working through all of that stuff. But somewhere along the way in the prayer, by the end, the whole thing was about God. And it was about the fact that even though my dad was gone, I felt more safe and more loved now because God was with me. That's what Peter is saying is, is that the joy that comes in suffering is not that suffering's fun. He says it's grief in all kinds. It is grief. But in the middle of that grief, a faithful God whose unfailing love shows up in your situation can't help but make you fall more in love with him. And Peter says the key to having joy in the midst of suffering is to realize that our present experiences are tied to our future salvation. It's all one event. Now, the reason I went through one example, my example, in all three of these cases is because this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take that one event, whatever it is. Maybe it's something that perhaps you're not right in the middle of. It can be tough when you're right in the middle of it and the suffering is intense. It may be that event that you look back on. It may be that bullying that happened at school. It may be that persecution. It may be that betrayal by a close friend. It may be the loss of a loved one. Whatever that suffering thing is, whatever that event is, either that you're in now or that you can look back on, with some kind of perspective, you want to ask yourself these three questions. Is God shielding you from more than you can handle and sustaining you during the suffering? Can you look back on that suffering and say, you know what, this was tough, but it could have been worse. I see how God simply wouldn't let this thing crush me. Could you feel during that time God lifting you up and holding you in place while this tidal wave went down around you? If you answer yes to that question, the result is God is saving you. And if he's protecting you during the suffering, he's going to save you all the way to the end. You will make it safe and sure to your inheritance. The second question as you think about that period of suffering or that event or that thing. On the other side of it or even in the middle of it, do you still believe that God is good? That despite what you're going through, despite what you've been through, despite all of the pain, despite the very real grief, do you still believe God is good? If you answer yes to that question, you have genuine faith. You're not a follower in Jesus because he just keeps blessing you and blessing you. You're a follower in Jesus because you believe he's Lord. And even if he slays me, still I'm going to follow him. And the third question is at the end of that suffering. 
Do you love God more than you did at the beginning? doesn't mean that there's not still wounds in your life. It doesn't mean that there's not still pain. It doesn't still mean that that's not a raw area. But during that time, did you feel God's inexplicable love for you? In such a way that he kept showing his love when everybody else around you was gone. And if you love him more now than you did then, think what it's going to be like when you see him face to face. Peter says, you love him now and you haven't even seen him yet. Imagine what it's going to be like, our future salvation, when we come to see him face to face. What I'd like you to do this morning, we made some changes to the service last night based on what I felt like God was asking us to do. I'm going to leave these questions up here. Just a minute, I'm going to pray for you. And then there's going to be some time of silent reflection. And I want you to just take a few minutes and think about whatever that suffering event is that God has brought to mind during this sermon. It may have been something from 10 years ago. It may be something that you're in right now. And I want you just to take a little bit of time and work through those three questions during reflection during that time. After that, we'll have a closing song. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, without it, we would be hopelessly confused. How is it possible to have joy in the midst of suffering? But Lord, you say that if these three things are true of us, then we are going to be filled with inexpressible joy. Because we know that the salvation of our souls will come and is happening already. God, I pray during this time of reflection that you would speak to hearts and minds through your spirit. That you would show us how it's possible to have joy despite the sufferings of this life. Amen.